the first all-virtual Health Systems Process Improvement Conference 2021 comes your way February 24th through the 26th. Save with our lowest registration rates ever and save even more with no travel, hotel, or visa costs required. More than 100 sessions are scheduled for this event, including dozens of solutions that solve legions of pandemic problems like drive-through services, video-enabled clinics, and PPE procurement. Discover why hundreds of your healthcare improvement colleagues return year after year. Register now at iisc.org slash hspi slash register. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm Bobby Watts, Director of Ergonomics for Michelin Americas and a member of IISE and Applied Ergonomics Society. Today, we're looking back at the challenges 2020 presented and how industrial and systems engineers have responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact. Our panel includes two other IISE members, Gretchen Macht, an assistant professor of mechanical, industrial, and systems engineering at the University of Rhode Island, and Allie Hobbs, a healthcare consultant with Catalyst, a Haskell company, and a member of the Society of Health Systems. We'll be discussing our own experiences and the role ISEs will play as we head into 2021. Gretchen and Allie, welcome. So 2020 has been a year. So we've had the pandemic, we've had politics. We had racial injustice. There's just a lot of things going on. Probably first and foremost is the COVID-19 pandemic. So Allie, I know that you're an expert when it comes to healthcare systems. So can you tell us some of the challenges you have met in 2020 and what you've done? Yeah. So um, obviously, first of mine, COVID-19 goes to healthcare and our different challenges around that, whether it be social distancing or getting your lab results back for the tests um, or, you know, canceling all elective surgeries this year. If you if you weren't planning an elective surgery, you might not have known or noticed. But um, all of the hospitals pretty much when we went into lockdown, canceled elective surgeries. So that ultimately hit their bottom line and their finances and figuring out um, not only how do we treat the COVID-19 patients, um, obviously we want to keep everybody safe and healthy, but also how do they um, keep operating at full capacity when they're not having any of these surgeries? Um, So with the IISC group or the SHS group also, we did these COVID-19 think tanks starting back in March. Um, We started, we just kind of got a group together and said, hey, let's just talk about this for a minute. It was similar to this podcast, free-flowing Let's just have a conversation on what's happening in healthcare. What can we as IEs do to better help with this pandemic or help our healthcare providers? Um, from that, we it ended up being once a week because there was such demand um, to talk about this and get each other's experiences um, and understanding what other people were working on. Um, I think it's very easy when something like this happens to get bogged down in your process and what you're doing every day, um, which also makes it exciting for this podcast to see what people outside of the healthcare industry have been doing too. Um, Cause I know we all kind of got our blinders on, so this will be good. But with that, with those think tanks, um, we started just talking about what are we seeing right now versus what are we going to see in the future? And it did, follow somewhat of a linear path. So we started out, hey, we're, we, there's a shortage of PPE. Everyone remembers the shortage of PPE. Even Grey's Anatomy was donating their PPE that they had, which I love, big fan of the show. So a lot of the IEs started getting into the supply chain role of how can we get everything that the hospital needs in order to treat this disease and and everyone stay protected. Um, Masks, gloves, full body suits, um, everyone was using them a lot more than they had been in the past. So obviously there was a shortage. Um, How can we get them just in time or ahead? We actually had a team member come on our think tank and talk about how they were sanitizing and reusing and preparing 
for if we go, had another peak or if we had to go into another quarantine or if there was another shortage. Uh, so that was really interesting. I used in that capacity, the supply chain capacity. Then we moved on to that elective surgery capacity on we've shut them down. How do we bring them back up? Because at the end of the day, hospitals are still a business. We need to make money. We want to treat everyone. Everyone needs to be safe and healthy, but we have to pay our staff somehow. So um, we started, how can we ramp back up? So it became more of a scheduling project for the IEs and project management on how can we safely make our waiting rooms socially distanced? How can we make sure that patients are using the proper PPEs and they're using their masks and sanitizing and getting a COVID test before they come in for their surgery? It was that kind of project. So logistics as well as scheduling. And then now we're moving into this maintenance phase. I would call it also like technology phase where we're trying to use what we've learned during the pandemic and take it into the future. How are we going to keep telehealth as great as it's been? How are we going to implement new technologies, digital technologies, so that maybe we don't have to have as many people in the outpatient space or in the waiting room? Can we reduce these mass gatherings um, of patients? So yeah, that's kind of, (laughs) that was a lot. Sorry, everyone. I just kind of went on our journey so far. It's been It's been a learning curve for everyone, I think, in the whole wide world, but definitely in healthcare. As challenging as the pandemic has been, you know, it's it's a terrible, terrible thing, but it has been a perfect storm in in terms of a complex problem that IEs and systems engineers need to solve. You gave some great examples of, you know, reaching back and utilizing the tools that we use as industrial engineers, but also getting outside of our, probably our niche. Uh, So with your niche being healthcare systems, you're looking at, you know, technology, you're looking at supply chain. So uh, it's a great example of how we're reaching out and we're using all of our skills. And that's what makes ISC so great because we can do everything. I tell everybody that. And so Gretchen, uh, with your podcast and talking about voting systems and making that, I really, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, so how do you feel that the work you're doing with the voting systems, how was it helpful or how are you applying it with the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah. So um, how, how do you measure a year? Um, <laughs> so when it comes to voting systems, there were a lot of things going on. When we start talking about how the pandemic hit, we were just at the beginning of the presidential preference primary. I mean, we had Iowa, which had a bunch of issues with their caucus in terms of um, information technology and services and how to get, you know, the caucus and how that functions to uh, transition in terms of cyber uh, and what that meant for reliability, quality, um, assurance in terms of election results to then, oh, hold up, everybody's now um, changing their elections uh, for their primaries. The states are no longer in the same order. Uh, I was out in California and um, Michigan right before they shut down in LA and Detroit um, in March. So right before uh, we had some national um, or states shut down. So then everything changed uh, for voting. We talked about voting in terms of uh, vote by mail. What does that mean? How safe do people feel? We know that traditionally that disenfranchises people of color. We know that that means that if you have certain systems that require a notary public to get that signed, how can I go to a notary when I'm not allowed to go outside? How can I still vote by mail? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of coming together on just that in terms of beefing up systems, manufacturing the products just to count and to open all of the mail ballots. So the manufacturing ramp up was enormous. And it was also in elections, you know, we only pay attention every few years. Some of us, every, um, every election, but most of us every four. But that also means that when Ali was talking about supply and demand, we had very similar issues where you had entire states who have never done vote by mail or maybe had a couple hundred to maybe a thousand ballots in that way where they hand counted it, now trying to get these massive speed counters 
and they weren't available. And then there was competition. And then there was certain um, third-party facilitators who do that who were just overwhelmed. So the bidding process was wicked and only certain states could get and be agile enough to get access in the time that they needed. And then when we start talking about social distancing and COVID-19 and how to implement and mitigation strategies, I mean, at the very beginning, we had no idea in terms of, well, okay, so we space some people out. We kind of know that this may or may not work. What does it mean to have windows open? What does it mean to have airflow? What does it mean to have mixture of air inside a building? And as an industrial engineer, we were already talking about scanning and connecting, right? Things that we see, that we know that other people are experts in. How can we use our tools? How can we pull other people in and get that executed? So talking to people from ASHRAE, so the refrigerating heating engineers, to talking to um, the American Institute of Architects, like just bringing people in and helping to understand how we can make this better. And do we have to socially distance all the equipment? What is the best cleaning strategy? People spend in different jurisdictions spend a lot of money to make sure that your vote counts and how it counts. And when we have different equipment, you can't just go up and use standard cleaning equipment all the time because maybe that touch interface won't work. So talking to um, IT, ITS, all of those different types of services. And that was just the beginning. So yeah, Ali, I'm with you. There's a whole arc to this year that is just enormous. And when uh, you have different states or different jurisdictions coming to me and they're like, what, what do I do? Okay, well, what, what do you think you should do? Let's start with that conversation. <laughs> and, it, and then it ramped up. And in the meantime, we had places such as Georgia, such as Wisconsin, who were considered um, super spreaders, but they weren't actually, I mean, they were not great in terms of the pandemic, but that made people even more afraid. And we know from decision-making, ergonomics, cognitive engineering, that when we are afraid, we don't necessarily make the best decisions. So what, what does that mean? And then when we talk about voting, it's a lot of people who write laws and regulations. States and jurisdictions aren't necessarily agile enough to work with those types of problems. Yeah, so scheduling, logistics, resource allocation, simulation, um, human resources, services, quality. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, how does your vote count? Do we manually count it? I mean, just the sheer workforce to do a total manual recount and what that means and then all the laws and deadlines with it. It is all industrial and systems engineering. And I agree, Bobby, this year, although absolutely terrifying at points, mm -hmm. troubling, I think that it was an opportunity for industrial engineers to show the world what we've got and how we have been working in the 99% invisible space. And hey, we've been here, we've got this, we can help you. And I think that that's, when I look at it, I'm very hopeful in 2021. I'm so glad you said that. And I hear the passion from both you, Gretchen, and Allie. You're passionate about industrial and systems engineering. You know, I'm, my concentration is ergonomics and human factors. I'm very passionate about that. Of course, with you, um, Gretchen, with um, human factors. Um, we're, we, I think we are very unique. You know, we, other engineers are great, but we see this as a problem that we can fix, that we can step up and show that we're leaders. I recently did a webcast for the Applied Ergo Society for AEC, and we talked about how ergonomists can step up and be leaders in this. And it's not just ergonomists, it's all the different facets of industrial and systems engineering. But with that, it really shows what we can do. We have all these tools in our toolkits. Sometimes we don't get to use them as much as we like to, but this was a great opportunity, uh, especially with, you know, with the healthcare systems, with the pandemic, we're trying to keep 
people safe. That's the main thing that we're wanting to do. But we're, we also want to be efficient with it. So my perspective, um, really, it's coming from an industry. Um, so like I mentioned, I'm the director of ergonomics for Michelin, but I've been working with a lot of ergonomists in industry, uh, whereas we have a lot of essential workers definitely in the healthcare field. And then when you have the, the elections coming up, they became the essential workers. But also we had some industries that were still running through this. So not only are they still trying to work through the pandemic, they're trying to figure out how can we keep people safe? So it became a new problem that they had to solve. So when I talked to their ergonomists, we talked about how Again, we have all these tools. What can we do? A lot of the ergonomists that I work with, we work in safety. So, of course, when you're in safety, the biggest thing that you have to deal with is the virus. What do we do? So, a, a lot of us as ergonomists, we were taking on different roles, but that's okay. You know, we're taking on roles in industrial hygiene, epidemiology. Again, with the virus, everybody became an epidemiologist, it seems, uh, especially on social media. But it, it was an opportunity for us to really spread our wings and show what we can do. Uh, from industry, we did have some unique challenges. As I mentioned, that companies who had workers who were still working, how do we keep them safe? Uh, we we're still trying to do physical distancing, the social distancing, wearing masks. But when you bring that, these are some new challenges that we're trying to figure out. How do we keep people, especially when you're going into the summer months and you have sites that are in the deep south where it gets really hot and humid, what does that mean when people are wearing masks and they're having to wear masks all throughout the day? And when we're talking about supply chain, it became an issue of, well, how many masks should we give people? How, or how often are they going to sweat through it? These little challenges that we didn't think of, they came up, but we were able to handle that. And I say that collectively as industrial and systems engineers, because we're just prepared for that. Um, it was a great opportunity for us to show what we can do show management, show leadership, and get a seat at the table. In talking with other ergonomists, I encourage them, if they're working with uh, companies that are having these crisis sales and they're talking about how to handle the, the pandemic, um, make sure that they're in those meetings, that they're talking and that they're giving a voice because other people may not see things as we see it. So it was a great opportunity. One of the things I want to mention in terms of with industrial and system engineers, we're spreading our wings, we're tapping into things that we haven't done before. So a challenge that I have taken on is the behavior science. Um, as human factors, we, we look a lot at the design of work, but when it comes to the cognitive piece of it, it is so fascinating to understand the behaviors of people. We are talking about just trying to get people to wear masks, not just industry, but out in the community. Um, so how do we utilize behavior science uh, to communicate, to encourage and try to change those processes so people are encouraged to wear masks or are encouraged to use social distance? So it's just been an interesting challenge for uh, across the board. So one of the things that I really think is a huge challenge, we talked about, of course, with the pandemic, it was a perfect storm in and of itself. But then you have the elections, you have the politics, you have racial injustice, the Black Lives Matter, matters. All of these things hit at once. So it wasn't just a pandemic. And you spoke eloquently on that, Gretchen, about how that really impacted what you're doing with the elections. One of the things I do want to highlight uh, as industrial systems engineers that we're really geared to be able to help handle is the psychosocial stresses that we're seeing. Just, just in general, people are just trying to stay safe, keep their families safe. And there's a lot of stress that's, that's being put on people. So when it comes to psychosocial risk factors, I really think as we move into 2021, that along with some other things are going to be big ticket items, but that psychosocial risk factors are going to be really something that we really need to hone in on. I can definitely see it from the healthcare systems. How do we manage that? How do we put that into our risk management systems and how do we control those? Uh, so it's definitely going to be an issue just across the board. As we move into 2021, you mentioned all of the things that we're handling in 2020. What do you think will be the focus as we move forward, 2021 and beyond? So, Allie, what do you think? Yeah, so I think we have all touched on it a little bit. I'm sensing some themes between all of our industries, which makes me really excited. Um, one of those being this pulling other people in and these rapid problem solvings. Like, that's what we were built to do. And we're also built to know um, as IEs, we know what we don't know um, and we know when to pull in other people. Like as Gretchen said, like 
similar to what we've been doing in healthcare, we're pulling in the epidemiologists, we're pulling in the HVAC um, systems to understand what all of these mean. So we're pulling in the experts. And I think we as IEs can really bridge between what we're doing now and what's coming in 2021. And I know I, I kind of mentioned it earlier for healthcare, it's going to be a lot of this digital technology, this digital health. And we will be transitioning that to how will nurses get involved? How will patients get involved? We need to establish this trust Mm -hmm. that patients can have this technology monitoring them all the time, Um, not just those episodic forms of care too, not just when you're feeling sick, you're going into the hospital, but Um, How can we use all of these telehealth initiatives that we've learned this year and transfer it into next year so that we not only can stay away from anything potentially happening like this again, um, that business resiliency taking over, but how can we also make healthcare better in utilizing those technologies? And I think IEs can help bridge that gap between, hey, here's the software engineers who really understand that. And here's how we can make that usable, all those human factors terms we've been using for our patients, for the staff who's going to be using it, for those physicians and doctors who don't typically see it every day. talked about technology. Um, So one of the challenges we saw in industry were people working from home, people who are used to being in offices and having to work remotely, and just the challenges that come with that in that virtual world. But we also are seeing that with people that are in school, with their universities. So Gretchen, what are some of the challenges you've seen and how have you helped your students get through these challenges? Universities had to completely reconfigure how they educate, how they effectively communicate. What does it mean to learn? What does it mean to have a hands-on experience in an environment where you're not allowed to go to campus? What does it mean to have a campus experience when you're not allowed to go to campus? What does it mean to have social interaction, which help us grow in ways that spark innovation, creativity, knowledge transfer without being on campus or being on campus, but you know, in such a big circle, you're maybe shouting at people across the way and the masks uh, mumbling every other word that you have. It really shows that as a system, and I think Ali hit it right on the head, education is, does deliver a product. It, It is a business. How does that work? And I think we have been tested in terms of resiliency, in terms of natural disasters or just disasters. And how do you influence flexibility in our enormous complex systems? So universities had quite a few challenges. We had to figure out how many people go in what room. Are we opening up our campus? Because if we do, how do we do that? Do first years show up? Or do last year's show up? Who shows up when? How do we quarantine? Do we quarantine? How do we support that? What does it mean to enforce rules and regulations on a campus that is inherently supposed to be an independent thing? How do we have these types of shifts to online classes? What about the autonomy of faculty? They know their materials the best. So how can I teach ergonomics, Bobby, if I can't show you what it means to take an anthropometric measurement? How how can I show you how to use a pyranometer to measure illumination of a room and whether or not you can have productivity in that space if not everybody in a virtual environment has a pyranometer in front of them? (laughs) It's created a lot of creativity, opportunities for growth, both for students and our faculty. And I gotta say, our students have been exceptionally understanding and resilient. And I am just really blown away by their ability to adjust on the fly and to be exceptionally understanding. But when we talk about live sessions, so asynchronous versus synchronous, when we talk about different technological glitches, 
when you have a various array of faculty, their various capabilities of what they know technologically, how to even record a Zoom call, let alone if they are at the podium and you have half of the people in front of you and you have half of the people online, how do you use the whiteboard and capture that <laughs> without literally moving the computer, which some of us had to do. <laughs> so it, it, it was really fascinating from this distributed teaming, distributed education. What does it mean to communicate? So for me, I, I in May, um, March through May, I asked the students virtually every time we collected, so you've made it. And it wasn't, how are y'all doing? Can you just, you know, share your feelings? You know, it was like, just congratulations for getting to today. And I think that as industrial engineers, and it's mandatory that we take human factors, I think, and we are the people engineers, as well as the business engineers, as well as this creativity engineer. We have all of these in our toolkit. And I think that just recognizing the challenges of everyone was really, really special and really important. And it started to settle the students down. Uh, yesterday, we we're all in virtual environment. We started where I had labs in person this semester, which was fascinating, but also we had to get into our routines, our procedures for sanitization. I had to check everybody who entered on their cell phone if they had the, the URI approved green check mark that they're allowed to be on campus, that they certified that they have no symptoms, you know, before they could enter the room. There was a lot that we had to implement. But when we start talking about working from home or schooling from home. Yeah, I, I mean, I had students who were stacking books and putting their computer on top of books or that they had a, they bought a desk that was collapsible that fit under their bed, pulled it out, set up their temporary workspace and then had to collapse it again and they, cause they had roommates. The, just how to perceive what it means to work from a space that wasn't set up for you. Bobby, I think that your work in that is phenomenal. And I think that that's really important because yeah, we're talking about mental health in 2021. We're talking about trust. We're talking about quality assurance, huge, huge things. Um, but this idea of access to buildings, how does environment spark productivity, performance, both individual performance versus job performance versus team performance versus functionality versus distributed cognition, teaming. It gets into really some gnarly, fascinating topics. And all on that, the pressure of what it means to maybe have a dog underneath your desk or a kid running around or you have um, new mothers breastfeeding who just came home from the hospital because the hospital mm -hmm. still had to take care of you know, pregnant women and families. You have these issues of whether or not it is actually safe for your students to be at home. You touched on something that, you know, when we're talking about, you know, people, people are resilient. You know, this pandemic has hit everybody. Yes, it's stressful, but people are still getting by. They make a way out of no way. You touched on the innovation. And that really is what I'm seeing, especially in industry. Like I said, they still have to get the product out. They still have to keep their employees safe. How do we do that? So we're seeing a lot of companies being very innovative in how they do that. I've seen companies that have encouraged their employees to figure out how do we change in terms of opening doors? You know, how do we change the, you know, the handles so people don't have to, it's hands free. And we've seen a lot of examples of that. And hopefully we'll see that with the Applied Ergo Conference in 2021 with, you know, with these Ergo teams not only doing uh, projects for productivity, but how do we do that to keep people safe when it comes to COVID-19? Um, so innovation really speaks to how uh, what we do as ISEs, we're really coaches and we're cheerleaders and we're trying to empower people to be innovative. 
a lot of what we do with um, human factors and ergonomics and just in industrial engineering in general is we teach principles and concepts. So no matter if there's a, God forbid, there's another pandemic, but people understand these concepts and they can apply them, you know, moving forward, especially when you talked about working from home, you know, if people are using boxes to raise up a, a monitor, I applaud that. You don't necessarily have to buy the latest and greatest thing. I am excited when people are using those principles. So that's what I'm seeing a lot of people do, especially in ergonomists. We're teaching people these concepts so that they can be versatile in any situation. And I think that's really a key thing when it comes to ergonomics is that we really teach those principles. So another question for uh, for you ladies, in terms of your professional- I hit on that. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, please. I have my laptop on a series of books, so applaud all of that. Um, it probably, now that I'm talking to two people so highly into ergonomics, I'm now worried that it's not the right angle, but I would just say with that resiliency and especially going to school and those innovations from working, um, and consulting, typically we're on site Mm -hmm. four days a week. So that was a big shift to us. And, and how do we consult remotely? Um, how can we keep everybody safe, but still bring the value that we typically bring without being there or seeing their processes firsthand um, necessarily. I, we did an entire pharmacy redesign from their space and their processes all remote. So we had them walking through with their phone, mm-hmm. um, giving us like a little tour. And how do we market that and saying, not only are we keeping all of the CDC guidelines intact with our social distancing, staying at home, but we can still enhance your business. Shifting to this business resiliency model of not just process improvement, how can we get patients through the system quicker, but moving to, it's not just getting the patients through the system quicker. How can we make sure that everyone's staying safe while still maintaining that patient volume in order to keep the business running? So consultants have definitely flipped on their head of, We've all lost our sky miles, and I know we're all very upset about that. Um, but it's given us that resiliency of, well, now what can we do remotely and help our clients at the same time? That is really key to what we are as industrial systems engineer. We are very resilient. It doesn't matter what comes at us. We will make it work. And, and I love how you said you changed that model. It wasn't just process improvement. It was resiliency. How can we bring more to you? So it became another offer. Offering that that consultants can provide, and again, it speaks to how we as industrial systems engineers we are really primed to be leaders in this pandemic. This year, it's not just you know, 2020 wasn't just a year of the pandemic; it was a year of everything that could possibly go wrong. But this was an opportunity for us. We spoke about how we tapped into a lot of the tools that were in our toolkits. Probably had to dust off a lot of them. So in terms of your professional um, development, how have you ladies, and we'll start with Allie, how have you kept that development going? I know you talked about the think tanks, and I know that's probably been very beneficial with your professional development. I actually would love to join them. Um, so but what are some other things that you have done for your professional development? Yeah, so the think tanks came about because we were missing that. We were only seeing the projects that we were working on, and we knew people were out there doing such great work. We wanted to capitalize on that um, and learn from them. So actually, all of the think tanks, we started in March and went through May um, because that's kind of where it got a little bit more chaotic. We should start bringing them back. But um, they are all recorded on IISC Connect. If anyone would like to go back and look at some of the projects that healthcare industrial engineers were doing, we are also planning for a virtual conference, the Healthcare Systems Process Improvement Conference. It's 100% virtual. I'm on the planning committee, so we have definitely shifted to how can we give all of these really great presentations that used to be in person, how can we shift and make sure that they're still capturing that essence of networking and professional development while being at home in your pajamas? (laughs) So we've gotten... um, Things such as we're implementing different panel discussions. We had done panel discussions in the past, but something more like this, where everyone can virtually talk, have more open dialogue, actual networking sessions, which I'm sure 
I know my company did happy hours on Fridays to make sure that we were all still connecting. We're going to implement those into the um, conference. And I think it's going to be a really good pivot, as we've said a million times um, today, that resiliency factor was something that everyone had in their toolbox, but we didn't necessarily know until today. And I think IEs are even more equipped to not only recognize our own resiliency, but help others with that and our fast problem solving abilities. So similar to all the work we're doing in our professional lives, we're now shifting this conference into what is it going to look like virtually? And I'm really excited. I think it's still going to be a great professional development experience for anybody who joins. Great. How about you, Gretchen? So professional development, I think that it's been awesome to be able to connect with people that might not have been able to attend a conference. I, I know that conferences in terms of attendance have significantly spiked. But also, I mean, I have been able to have calls with people across the country where normally they would be like, oh, well, if you can't be here, you know, we can't work with you kind of mentality. And now they're like, well, we certainly can invite you here. So let's have a chat online. So I think that it's really helped in terms of connectivity um, and access to people, you know, pros and cons to that, of course, uh, work-life balance being that elusive idea. But ultimately, I think professionally, that's where it's been helpful. Um, from running a research lab where any given day I have, you know, 15 people to 20 sometimes, I have um, eight graduate students, you know, having that essence of them and connecting, yeah. Um, virtually watching movies together. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I have learned a lot about what my students like and don't like. But <laughs> at the same time, I think that it's also helpful to have those types of what we traditionally considered intangibles in the workspace and professional development. I think that people are making the extra effort to do that. Um, so that's my perspective on that. And Gretchen, I just wanted to add on the openness as everyone being more open. I've gotten a lot of traction on LinkedIn recently for professional development. I've actually been because we don't have these conferences to meet people and in different areas. I will just ask for coffee chats on LinkedIn. And people have been so responsive to that because everyone wants to network in some way and learn from others. And I think we have a unique ability to do that and understand what gaps we're missing in our professional lives to say, hey, um, I just love to hear more about what you're doing. Do you have like 30 minutes to talk on a Monday morning? Um, and people have been so open to that. I think that's been a real positive out of out of the quarantine. And that's very interesting just to have that concept of the coffee chat just being very informal. A lot of people think with professional development, it has to be very formal, very structured. I actually prefer informal because that's where you get the honest truth. For me, with professional development, I have been doing a lot of webinars, whether I'm giving them for some reason, people think they like to hear what I say. Uh, But yeah, I, I have a lot of experiences and I talk with a lot of people and I love sharing that. And that's something we're really good at as industrial systems engineers, but webinars, there are so many webinars available, uh, even just past webinars that are not COVID related, but just learning more. So I have been taking this opportunity just to learn. As I mentioned, um, I'm getting more into the behavior science and uh, that really wasn't my forte, but I actually think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting I'm not an expert, but I'm understanding how we can apply those behavior science principles to ergonomics, uh, whether it's with participatory programs in the industry or just in general to understand how to communicate better. So webinars, we have a lot of webinars that are available through uh, AES, uh, the Applied Ergo Society. As I mentioned, I recently did one on leadership um, because, again, this is a great opportunity for us as ergonomists and just industrial engineers to show how we can be leaders. There is a challenge, people, you know, with when it comes to virtual conferences. And in the AEC, the Applied Ergo Conference, is going to be virtual next year. But Gretchen, you touched on something that's very important, is that accessibility. So with the conferences being virtual, we're probably going to get more people who probably 
were able to travel. So I am actually on the student uh, pre-conference committee. And one of the things we're going to be doing, again, talking about leadership, but we really want to get those students and those young professionals. And with it being virtual, we think we're going to have a record turnout. I actually hope we do. We're trying to have good topics that we think would be interesting to not only the young professionals, but to seasoned professionals. We're going to be talking about ethics and ergonomics. Uh, We're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion, Um, just how to work with a team. So we have learned a lot. So we hopefully we can bring those learnings into this conference. it, whether it's just ergo conference or health sciences, I think we're, there's a lot of learnings from 2020 that, you know, good, bad, and ugly. There were some ugly. Everything wasn't perfect. We need to talk about that so we can learn about it. But just professional development is being able to look back and say, okay, what worked right? What didn't? And how do we learn from that? But also learning from others, um, just pulling those best practices from everybody, Uh, just learning about things that you probably didn't even know about. Uh, I learned a lot early on with the COVID-19 pandemic. Something that wasn't even on my radar was deconditioning and meaning when employees who, when we had the shutdown, some employers had to send their employees home and they were home for weeks at a time. And so they were deconditioning their bodies. So how do we bring people back? And so again, that wasn't on my radar because I was so focused on masks and fatigue, but just being able to sit through a webinar and hear that, that really perked me up. It got me to talk to my, you know, you know, my, my network to say, what can we do? So again, professional development, we are always continuously learning. I think the year 2020 with all its good and bad and ugly is going to be a great breeding ground for a lot of lessons learned moving forward. For me, it's not just been becoming a, a, you know, exploratory epidemiologist, but also I've dived into history. I've dived into social sciences because I needed to understand that if history does repeat itself, what are we doing? How did we get out of this? Did we get out of it? Did we not handle it appropriately then? And that we're dealing with some of those ramifications now in very many ways you know, after the pandemic, because there will be an after, how can we do a reconstruction? Mm -hmm. How can we look at that from a rebuilding an infrastructure that can be flexible and resilient and responsive and still be complex? And that, that is where I've also dived into, I, I, I know that that's not the most engineering thing to say, but as engineers, we are awesome in that we can be whoever we want to be just as everybody else can. So diving into things that are not our wheelhouse, you know, doesn't have to still stay in the umbrella of engineering as well. But yeah, I mean, podcasts, I listen <laughs> to so many podcasts, <laughs> but I can't get enough. So Yeah, I I think that that's for me where I've also found um, some really fascinating discussions as well as discoveries and this hopeful re-execution of this uh, reconstruction post-pandemic. Just to add to that, I think we are really good about knowing what we need to go out and learn to fill in those gaps and to understand what else can be gleaned in order to make the process that we're currently dealing with better now or in the future. And I think something that came out of here was no one is the expert anymore. We, no one is the expert, although I'm technically here seen as a healthcare systems expert, I am not. Before this year, had no idea that I was necessarily dealing with ventilation. I knew there were a couple of things we had to worry about, but not um, social distancing in the waiting rooms. I, all I knew was that we had to get the waiting room times down it added a lot of different components. And I think it, it humbled everyone in a sense of we all have to come together to understand what this means right now and how we can solve these problems quickly right now. And then all have to come together to your point and what's going to happen after the pandemic, because there will be an after. So how can we use everything that we're learning now from all our different experts and take that forward and utilize it to make the processes better that we're already doing right now.
I think a lot of what we've talked about today has been, we've got back to basics. You know, there's a problem in front of us. You know, what do we do? We got to uh, analyze it. We got to um, measure it. And then we got to figure out the different controls with it. And that's what we're really good at as industrial and systems engineers. Everything is a system. This pandemic is a system in all these different variety of ways. So how do we look at it? And, and, and you're so right. Nobody is an expert. Uh, you talked about, you know, air control. I sat through a webinar that I didn't think I would ever do just talking about air control. I, I know nothing about HVAC, but I sat through it because I thought, okay, this is something I can learn because it may be applicable in how we design our offices now. How do we, you know, set up the chairs? So we're learning so much from different things. So you're so right, Allie. Nobody's an expert, but we're using what we're really good at. That is looking at everything as a system and using our our tools to try to address it. So, so maybe one last question is, we talked about 2021 and beyond. So what is something that you're looking forward to? Uh, one of the things I really like to talk about is that it's a lot of doom and gloom. So what is something that you're looking forward to, whether it's industrial and systems related or just, you know, just something in your life as we move forward? I'm really looking for, and we've talked about it a lot today, this rebirth of the industrial engineer I think this year was a test and we all rose to the occasion of you've got a problem and it's systems related. We're on it. Let's take all the pieces of the system and put it together like a puzzle and make it better. And I think people have seen that, whether we've been pulled into supply chain issues, project management, logistics, ergonomics, human factors, um, Anything that there was an issue with, we've risen to that challenge. So I think next year, I'm really looking forward to how do we keep this momentum going and keep proving that, hey, we can help with anything. We're ready. Take us up on it. How about you, Gretchen? I'm really looking forward to that. I might not have to explain every time I introduce myself what industrial and systems engineering is. Yes. Um, And I really... When talking to people, they're like, oh, my gosh, I knew there was an engineer for that. Oh, I would have gone back to school. I would have done that differently. That's exactly where I want to be. That, oh, how do I go back to school? I've had those types of conversations more than I ever have. So I'm really looking forward to moving on from some of those glitches that we've had as a society, as we've had that we may not be as ubiquitous as some of the other engineers. Um, but we actually are, and we are in the top five in terms of uh, prospective hires mm-hmm. in the next decade alone, that we have so much strength and opportunity. I am just totally inspired by that. And Ali, I completely agree that with that comes this rebirth that comes this knowledge. And I think that we will overcome a hurdle, honestly, that we've had professionally since its inception a uh, hundred years ago, <laughs> that it, people are just in awe now. And I, I really love that. And I'm going to piggyback on that as well. And I'm really looking forward to being able to walk down from my office, down the hallway to seeing students working together and studying and problem solving on the board, having active, you know, in person, in real life communication. I'm really looking forward to that just because that's where the light bulbs happen for me and the stars in the eyes and the enthusiasm. All right. This is why I am here. So I think that that those are the things that I'm looking forward to. Just hearing both of you, you really, you really touched on what we have, and that's a passion for what we do. Uh, we love industrial systems engineering because it's in our genes, and we think it's a great opportunity as we move forward in 2021 to really show, hey, this is what we did, and it's going to open up our portfolios, our resumes, our CVs to say, this is what we did. I'm looking forward to teaching the young professionals and students and and just, you know, even the grade school kids to say, this is what an industrial systems engineer does. You remember that pandemic in 2020? This is how we helped. This is how we kept things going. So as bad as 2020 was, and it was a challenging year, it was a great opportunity for us to show what we can do. So I'm like you with you, uh, Gretchen and Allie, just looking forward to, I like how you termed it, the rebirth of industrial systems engineering. 
we're going to have so many great things that we can tell people about. And, and you mentioned about the light bulbs. This, I have seen so many light bulbs when we're talking about, oh, this is how it connects. This is how the system works. This is all of this. Um, even on social media, I got to talking about human factors and I had some person say, oh, I didn't know that was a, a field. Can I talk to you about it? So I'm like, yes, let me tell you about it because I'm so excited. Um, so it's, it's a great opportunity. And I think moving in 2021, there's so many things that we're going to be involved in. We have shown people what we can do. We're going to be leaders. I really think I'm a huge proponent in us being in the C-suite when it comes to the industry, but also in academia. We are natural born leaders and I'm so excited. We have been able to show that in 2020, but we're going to show it again, 2021 and moving forward. So I am very excited about that. So this has been great. I'm so glad to meet both you, Allie and Gretchen. I mean, I'm like so inspired by both of you, what you do. I'm like, so we're connecting. So we need to connect on LinkedIn. And when COVID is over, we need to do lunch or we can just do one of those coffee chats uh, so we can just talk more because I, I really feel that you're just as passionate as I am about industrial systems engineering. And hopefully we can bring up some more people to be just as passionate. I'm very much looking forward to our coffee chats in the future now and then hopefully lunch and getting connected on LinkedIn. This has been great. I'm really inspired about the other industries and getting out of my own little bubble. So I'm looking forward to all the ISCs have to offer. Yes, thank you so much. Um, if I'm allowed, I would like to finish this with a quote. I did mention that I dove into history um, to help guide my vision and my future professionally and personally. And um, I have a quote from JFK here that he gave on his peace speech at American University's commencement that I just think that this excerpt sums up some of the 2020. <laughs> so um, even from a historical perspective in 1963. So I thought that this would be great. It starts with so let us not be blind to our differences, but let us also direct attention to our common interests and to the means by which those differences can be resolved. And if we cannot end now our differences, at least we can help make the world safe for diversity. For in the final analysis, our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this small planet. We all breathe the same air. And we all cherish our children's future, and we are all mortal. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISC podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.